All right, welcome to the Matt Adams Podcast. This is episode 16, coming to you live, or semi-live, from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. Our My weekly show, although special correspondent Anne is joining us once again. Hello, everyone. This week we're going to talk about something that everybody on the internet is pretty much talking about, and that is Avengers Infinity War. We went to see it at 10.30 on a Saturday morning to a packed crowd, and then uh, I think our minds were sort of blown, and there was a lot happening in that movie. It was absolutely dense as far as everything that was going on, so we didn't feel like we would be able to talk about it on Sunday or Monday, really, until we saw it again and kind of got our uh, bearings. So we went and saw it again on uh, Tuesday evening. Yes. And it was a nice $5 showing at AMC Theaters every Tuesday. The podcast is not sponsored by AMC Theaters, but if they wanted to throw us some money, we wouldn't mind. But th they do have a deal right now where you can go to a movie for $5 any time of the week if you're a Stubbs member on Tuesdays. And that's what we did this evening. So that was nice. Yeah, that sponsorship could uh, get us some more movies here, even if it's just a tiny bit of change. Just just a little bit. Just a, a little <laughs> bit your way. And uh, also, we wanted to, to promote the $5 popcorn and soda combo on Tuesdays as yes. well. So you can go see a movie and get popcorn and a soda for $10. We love you, AMC. Once again, there is no promotional consideration from AMC Theaters. We just like their product. Yes. All right. So we, we did, seriously, though, go to see Infinity War. And it is the culmination of 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all started with... Iron Man in 2008, and we've made it all the way up through a bunch of movies that I'm not going to name, because if you want to hear my thoughts on all of the Marvel movies, you can check out my Marvel MCU podcast, in which I rank all of my movies, up until Black Panther, because at that point, I hadn't seen Black Panther yet. That ranking just goes through Thor Ragnarok. How many of these movies do you think that you would have had to have seen in order to enjoy this movie, Anne? Really, the nice thing about the Marvel movies is that you can really go in fresh. If you want to just go in and see one without really seeing the others, they do a pretty good job in the writing of kind of keeping you on track, like on pace with what's going on. But honestly, it wouldn't hurt to watch at least, you know. I think Infinity War is probably the <sighs> exception to that, yeah, don't you? Yeah, it really is. Because normally you could go into the individual ones and just go in without seeing any of the other movies, if you're not a nerd like the rest of us. Um, and and but... you'll, you'll certainly get more if you've seen the other movies, but you can go into it, yeah. and they, they kind of give you the background within the movie that you need, but... and that, that gets you set up so you can, you can enjoy it and understand what's going on. Oh, yeah, but you're right. The I, I would say you're right. The Infinity Wars is probably the exception, because if you hadn't really watched some of the, especially the earlier Marvel yeah. movies, you wouldn't know about Thanos. And he's one that's kind of been kept in the background a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, he's this looming years. this looming almost abstract yes. uh threat that sort of looms over the whole series. And he's been um sort of the menacing character behind some of the things that have happened like in the Avengers movie. Right. They talk about how he was the one, really ultimately he was the one and we saw that in an after credits clip that he was the one that basically sent the aliens, mm -hmm. led by Loki, to Earth in the first Avengers movie. So, really, he's been kind of in the background. 
Just and, kind of pulling the strings, waiting, yeah. biding his time, waiting for his moment. He's the puppet master. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. And at first I thought maybe the collector would be the puppet master. Because he looks like the puppet master. <laughs> you love the collector so much. I love him so much. And, of course, he's played by the great Benicio Del Toro. And Benicio, I mean, of course, he doesn't disappoint in this movie either. He is... In his 30 seconds that he's in it. Yes, but it's a great 30 seconds. It is. And you gotta love Benicio. I mean, I loved him in uh, the new Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, DJ. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Loved him. So, anyway, but I thought maybe the Collector would play a bigger part and that maybe he was working for Thanos. But in the end, we find out, of course... In the Infinity Wars, not to spoil anything, really, there's no spoiler to say, but we find out he doesn't work for Thanos. Right. So that's kind of a bit of a sad thing for me, because that means we don't get to see very much of the Collector. And we, we should probably mention, uh, if you have not seen the movie yet, we are going to talk about some heavy spoilers, and that means we need to sound the spoiler alarm. Uh, uh, spoilers! Spoilers! So if you haven't seen Infinity War, this is probably the time that you need to tune out. We're not going to talk spoilers right away, but, you know, basically from this point forward, if there's any big deaths or any big moments from the movie, we're going to talk about them. If you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want to know about it, then, you know, click this off, go see it, and turn us back on later. But <laughs> This mas- message will self-destruct exactly. in five seconds. And I, I do think if, if audience, I think audiences could not have, don't have to have seen every single MCU movie to understand Infinity War. True. Fans who have seen all of the movies will get more out of it. Oh, yes. Especially when it comes to the Infinity Stones. I think um, if you're not a Marvel fan, if, if you haven't even picked up a comic book or read something on the internet or even just talked to other Marvel fans or, like you said, seen the movies, it's going to be hard for you to sort of you do get a little bit of a rundown. Wong, who is the kind of sidekick to Doctor Strange now. He, he gives you the primer. He gives you the, the lowdown on what's going on with the Infinity Stones. But really, you don't really put together the whole effect of the Infinity Stones and how they connect to the other movies and how it all comes full circle until you see them in Infinity War. So I, I would say that you would have had to have seen if you've only if you were to just pick and choose, yeah. you know, some MCU movies to see. I think you would have had to seen the first Iron Man movie. Oh, because, definitely. Because that's that's your your foundation that sets up the whole base. I think it would be helpful. You don't necessarily have to see Captain America: First Avenger, although I really love that movie. But I think the Winter Soldier and Civil War mm-hmm. are important to see. Probably Age of Ultron, and the first Avengers movie. Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy, at least the first one, just so you're kind of familiar with the tone and those characters. Yeah. And probably, I would also say Doctor Strange, which I normally wouldn't say because it's a pretty good standalone movie, but Doctor Strange is in Infinity War a lot more than I was expecting. So I think you kind of need to see that one just to understand what that character is about and what his capabilities are. Yes, because his capabilities and who he is, what he can do plays a huge part in their battle against Thanos. It really does. And it's not like you cast Benedict Cumberbatch and then you're just going to put him on the bench. Oh, God, no. But, but he's a relatively new character. 
He's not interacted really with any of the other guys except for Thor, and he had a cameo in Thor Ragnarok. But other than that, we really haven't seen that much of Doctor Strange, and he plays a much larger role in this movie than I was expecting. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was expecting him to play a role in the in the Infinity Wars just because he possesses one of the stones. And when we've watched Doctor Strange, you don't... It's like the other movies. You don't always realize it's an Infinity Stone until... The very end. Yes, they, until they, it they gets... Admit, they, they talk about how it's very important to protect yes. an Infinity Stone, and that's what the Eye of Agamotto is that, you know, yes. allows him to manipulate time. Spoiler alert. Um, but, <laughs> but yes, I mean, that... I wouldn't... I'm with you. I did not expect it to be such a big role, but when you think about it, it makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Not only is he the only person besides Thanos that has the ability to manipulate his environment when, you know, cause when Thanos is wearing the gauntlet, he can basically do anything. He oh, can yes. manipulate his environment, um, with the power stone. He has obviously, uh, Loki. We, if you want to watch another movie that has reference to the infinity stones to keep you not lost, but of course you want to see, Thor's muscles, and you want to see Tom Hiddleston at his greatest. You can watch the first Thor movie. Well, it, it is tough. Everything is so interconnected. But I, I'm just saying, if you were to make hard cuts as to what you needed to see before you got into this movie, because there's some stuff you're, that you're going to miss. Yeah. Even if because if you don't watch any of the Thor movies, then that first scene of that movie picks up right from the end of Thor Ragnarok. Yes. And that relationship between Thor and Loki is probably going to be lost yes. on you. You know, it's it's important because a lot of people's uh, lives and well-being is centered around the fact that there's this tesseract that basically goes from the time of Captain America all the way to the present time. I mean, people have been guarding it and trying to get it and wanting it for different things. I mean, heck, even Howard Stark, Tony Stark's dad, used the tesseract. I mean, he found it. He found it. When he was looking for Captain America. So it's really the one that I think has affected the most people. Everything that you find out about the Tesseract, they pretty much rehash in the Avengers. Yeah, and, and the reason that the movies that I mentioned, uh, mostly Iron Man because that's the foundation. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I said Winter Soldier, but that's sort of selfish because that's... You like Winter that's, Soldier. <laughs> that's like my second favorite of... Yeah. Of all of the Marvel movies, with the Avengers being my top choice. Well, and that's why I said something about Thor, because I have to say Thor's my favorite that, movie. <laughs> you know, I know that's one of your favorites. You, you can probably skip Winter Soldier and just move on to Civil War and just know Cap has a friend who died years ago, yes. and he came back. And Cap's very protective of him. And you need to watch Civil War because it sets up a lot of... It's the last time we've seen a lot of these characters together. Yeah. And it fractured them, mm -hmm. and now they're in a situation where they have to get the band back together. Yeah, Civil War is very important. And Age of Ultron is the other team-up movie, which means all the a lot of the characters that you see in this movie have roles in that one. And it is your introduction to the Scarlet Witch, and it is your introduction to the Vision. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose that one. The Avengers movie, obviously the first one, because you, you get all the characters in there. You get Loki, you get Tesseract. And then Doctor Strange is probably an odd one because you don't really think of that one as being an essential viewing, but I, I think it would help with Infinity yes. War for somebody who's not necessarily familiar with a lot of the Marvel movies. Yes, because I think other than Captain America, in my opinion, Stephen Strange is really the only 
Avenger, so to speak. I don't know if he really could technically be of an Avenger, but he's really the only character in Infinity War, we'll say that, that can go head-to-head with Thanos. I mean, he's, got, everybody, he's got the powers to do it. Yes, everybody else has some pretty good chops, but I'd say the two out of there, well, I three, because Wanda's pretty strong. Wanda's strong. Yeah, Wanda's pretty strong, but um, I'd say probably the top two would, and no offense to Tony Stark, but... It would have to be Captain America and Doctor Strange. But I wouldn't say that I... So I was not surprised when, you know, Doctor Strange played a big part. I was really happy because, Oh, I like the character and I like Cumberbatch. Yes. They cast Benedict Cumberbatch, which was an excellent choice. I know most people were kind of like, what? When it happened with the Doctor Strange movie. But really, I mean, he's been a great asset to the Marvel movies. And he plays very well off the other characters. It's sort of like having another Robert Downey Jr. in the cast. Yes, it is. Because he does a great job. I mean, he can, Benedict Cumberbatch is very versatile. He can pretty much do just about anything. And at one point in this movie, you've got Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, and Peter Quill, who are three of the galaxy's (laughs) biggest smartasses. All together at the same time. They are. It's fun to... Fun to see them play off each other. Yes, I, I definitely think so. And then you throw Peter Parker in there. Yeah, poor Peter. And Peter is just... Wide-eyed, he, poor little Peter Parker. But he got some good questions. Oh, he was good. Yeah, he was good. So. It's a lot to take in, and I think that you're going to get the most enjoyment out of it if you've seen all of them, but there's that handful of movies that if you've at least seen those, you're not going to be completely lost. But I'm not sure that someone who hasn't seen any of these yeah. is going to get much out of it. I don't... Because... Usually in a movie, even when one's a sequel and you're familiar with the characters, the characters sort of get reintroduced in a way. You know, oh, I've been doing this, or oh, I've been doing that. There is really none of that in this movie. Once this thing kicks in right at the beginning, it goes, and there's really no time to stop and breathe and say, oh, this is what this character's been up to. This is what this character's been up to. Because once the threat of Thanos presents itself everybody's got to spring into action and they, they pretty much have to cast aside anything that they're doing and they have to, you know, come to it. And that's what they've been preparing for for the last, what, 10 years? Yeah, 18 movies. That's why they've done so many movies is so that when Infinity War rolled around, they could just jump right in. And it really is a nonstop action movie. I mean, they start at the very beginning and yeah, there's a couple of pauses for, you know, certain explanations but you're right. You really should see at least a couple of the movies. I would say definitely Avengers and maybe Civil War, Age of Ultron, if you're feeling frisky, just to kind of keep yourself kind of in the know. Because you'll you'll get the Scarlet Witch and Vision stuff yes. out of Civil War that plays a big part in this movie. But if yes. you're interested more in the background of those characters, then Ultron helps with that because that tells you how the Vision was made and everything. But yes. again, it, it's tough because there are so many of them mm-hmm. and there are so many characters. And the good thing about this movie is while it is nonstop action, there's a lot of humor in, in it. And it's got some dark themes. It really plays with some dark themes in this movie. There's still a lot of really great character moments. You know that they they did a lot. They put a lot of care and attention to making sure, even though they're juggling this cast of probably 30-some characters, if you count Thanos and his Mm -hmm. new guys and some of the cameos, they try to make sure everybody has at least a moment, like a big moment. Well, and I think what you're also kind of driving at, too, with the moments, I think they're... 
at least two that I can think of with character moments. Now, there's character moments as in Captain America shows up after being gone for two and a half years. But then there's also the idea of fleshing out characters for character moments. And I think two of the big ones were definitely the relationship between Vision and Wanda Maximoff, who we knew were going to play big parts in the Infinity War movie. They've been kind of sort of moving a little bit baby steps towards a relationship between the two of them. And we really start seeing it in kind of a little bit in Age of Ultron, but just, they're just really... Just the very end. Yes. Just a little moment between the two characters But they the really kind of start moving... Civil War really started to move that yeah, forward. Yeah, they really start moving in Civil War to the point where in, in Infinity Wars, there is a connection between the two of them that's very strong, very emotional, and... You really got to give props to Elizabeth Olsen and to uh, Paul Bettany because they both, I mean, they both played those characters so well. I mean, you can definitely feel the emotion between them because they also knew that with, you know, Thanos coming to Earth in search of the Infinity Stones, their time was very limited together. So that was, you know, that was also, that was a big character or characters moment. The second one, I would say, <laughs> unexpectedly, and we've talked about this, is Thanos. You know, Thanos had some character uh, fleshing out in Infinity War that we were not expecting. Well, one of the common criticisms that a lot of people will talk about with the Marvel movies is a lack of good, strong, deep layered villain characters a lot of the villains tend to be one note now there are some of them that people say are one note that i really like like red skull and ronan and it may just be because i like the the actors behind those roles so much and the funny thing is is that we look at them as you know one side characters or come and go characters but they're going to be back like yes. red skull spoiler alert Red Skull makes an appearance Red Skull in, out of nowhere. Yeah, Red Skull out of nowhere looking like a Dementor floating down <laughs> on the planet where they're going to get the Soul Stone. You know, Red Skull appears in the Infinity Stones. We thought he was done for. And then uh, we're going to see Ronan again. Yeah, yep, we'll see him in the Captain Marvel yep. movie. So, I mean... Which is set in the past, so it's not like he survived. It just shows but... that Marvel can continue to surprise you. You think it's a one-layered character. Or Loki... Loki was supposed to be, you know, the, you know, the evil, quote unquote, you know, Thor's brother was supposed to be kind of the adversary in the Avenger movie. But we know if, if you watch the original Thor that there's a lot of layers there's to layers Loki. There's layers to Loki. So that always makes it kind of bittersweet, too. As so. Loki's never been a mustache twirling villain. He's always had he, layers. He, he hair flips. He doesn't <laughs> mustache twirl. He, he's always, he flips his hair. He's always had a sympathetic side to him. Because even when they're at the end of the first Thor movie, you know, he where he's screwed everything up. And the, but there's that moment where Odin and Thor are like, you know, come with us, Loki. We can fix this and everything mm -hmm. will be okay. Loki's kind of horrified by where everything has gone. And he just lets go. And then the next time we see him is in the Avengers, where he is the, the main bad guy, you know, yeah. uh, bringing in the, the Chitauri and everything. So he's he's been a good villain. And then Killmonger from Black Panther, I think a lot of people say, is a really good villain because he's one of those guys who sees the world in a certain way and thinks his way is the right way and is the hero of his own story. 
aside from that, you get a lot of guys like in the the villain in Ant Man that's just kind of a dark reflection of the hero, and in Iron Man, even the first two Iron Man movies, it's a character that's a dark reflection of the hero. You know, and then the first Iron Man movie it works okay because the rest of the movie's so great you don't really think too much about the the climax not being great. In the second Iron Man movie, when you've got the the Mickey Rourke character in there, it doesn't really work very well. And so there, there are a lot of movies like that where people say the villain is is not mm-hmm. strong. But boy, were they surprised by Thanos! Oh, I would they imagine. spent a lot of time to develop Thanos. Now. The, the writers and the producers, the directors of this movie have described this as being Thanos' story. And I think it is at some level, but some people have gone so far to call him the protagonist of the movie. And that's, I mean, it's accurate to a point because he is really the one character who has a fully developed arc from beginning to end and struggles and has a goal that he accomplishes. But I don't know if I would go so far as call him the main protagonist of the movie. Yeah, I mean, and the only reason that he would be, quote-unquote, the main protagonist with a true story arc is because everyone else in the movie has had their own movie. Right. Except for Thanos. Well, And, and that's why Thanos has to have that arc. Because yes. if if you just have Thanos in there as big, strong, intimidating guy who never has any challenges in his life, never has to sacrifice anything, and is just sort of a mustache-twirling villain with an Infinity Gauntlet that can destroy everything, it's not a very interesting character. And so you're just depending upon the heroes to make the movie interesting. And and while they excel at that, you need somebody as a driving force that's truly terrifying, and they gave us that with Thanos. Yeah, and I think one of the big surprises about Thanos, in my opinion, is not only did he have a true story arc, but... Uh, two things. Number one, he was what Peter Parker described Captain America as. Remember, we were talking mm-hmm. about this in Civil War. In yeah. Civil War, where you know he thinks he's right, but he's wrong, and and that can be a very powerful thing. Yes, because as we you know saw in the movie, Thanos watched his whole planet of Titan basically go into ruin and right. die. Because nobody had the vision that he had to commit, they called it genocide. He called it basically, you know, saving the planet, basically. He wanted to be their savior. Everybody, it's the genocidal lottery! Yeah, it's like... Doesn't matter where you're rich or poor, half of you're gonna die. You know, it was interesting. <laughs> we'll say that. Sorry, sorry for that tangent, but no, yeah, his, you know, he's sort of like, in a way, a warped version of Jor-El... From from uh, the Superman comics, that's of course Superman's dad. He foresaw bad things coming to Krypton. Nobody believed him. The sun went supernova. The planet was destroyed. They sent you know their son to Earth and last son of Krypton, and that that's how it worked with Jor El with Thanos. You know he tried to warn everybody that you know overpopulation. We're going to run out of resources. We need to do this. And in the comic books, he's known as the Mad Titan. And, of course, he says, they called me mad mm-hmm. for my thoughts. But when Titan was destroyed and he said it was a beautiful planet, we got a little glimpse of it when he yes. used the reality stone, it it was a devastating loss for him. Everything that he liked and, and loved about his planet was gone, absolutely just destroyed. So 
he didn't want that to happen to the rest of the universe, where he felt that overpopulation and lack of resources for everybody was a problem. Yeah. And so his idea was not really to start over, but we're just going to kill half the people who exist, and then there's plenty of stuff for everybody. Yeah, which, you know, you could see the point to that for some of the planets. But, and you know, people to this day still argue that about Earth as well. Mm-hmm. well so. and, and Thanos, I think, deep down knows what he wants to do is a horrible thing. But he also feels that it's a necessary thing. And that's what makes him so yes. compelling is he is willing, you know, he says a couple times in the movie, I'm the only one with the will to do this or mm-hmm. the strength to do this because it, it must be done. And to the point where, you know, coming to the second thing is Gamora. Oh, Oh, man. That, I think for some people that have seen Guardians of the Galaxy and heard Gamora talk about her life with Thanos, it was a kind of a interesting feeling watching their interaction in Infinity Wars. Because in Guardians of the Galaxy... She portrays Thanos as the worst person worst on the dude planet. Ever. And you see that, of course, with her relationship with her sister Nebula. You know, they were two young girls who were basically kidnapped by Thanos from their home planets after he committed his uh, genocide program. His gift to humanity. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, while Gamora was the favorite, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but. While Gamora was the favorite, you know, Nebula was the one that always lost the battles with her sister. Each time time she lost, she got an implant. So she's more machine now than person. Yeah, he's more machine now than person. Twisted and evil. (laughs) Sorry, we had to do a little O to Star Wars there. Sorry about that, everybody. When we finally come to Infinity Wars, after experiencing what we experienced from... Gamora's point of view in Guardians of the Galaxy of her quote-unquote father, Thanos, it's almost shocking to see that there is a little bit of emotion between them still left. Because we find out through the story arc and the backstory of Thanos is that we do see him in a flashback go to Gamora's planet to initiate his genocide program. Remember, it's a 50-50 proposition. Yes, and unfortunately, Gamora's family was the half that did not quite make it. But he took to Gamora. He found Gamora and really just immediately bonded with yeah, her. Yeah, took to her, really liked her. And she was kind of uncertain about him. <laughs> but He is a big purple guy. <laughs> He's like seven feet tall. But he took her in and really loved her. And Matt and I were talking about how one of our theories about that is that, you know, Thanos, this must have been right after Thanos lost his planet, because you really don't see any of his other henchmen around. So the children of Thanos, though, they were basically beings that had fallen into Thanos' lap, whether it be through his conquering of other planets or any other means. And some of them were aliens, some of them were, you know... I think all of them were aliens. Darth Vader transplants, (laughs) I don't know. But they all had different gifts. They were all different beings in a sense. But really the only one he cared about was Gamora. She was right. his first child. Even, even though the others were true believers, she, Gamora and, was the one he truly cared about. And, yeah. and he, in a warped way, because Gamora didn't believe it, but he did love Gamora. Yes, surprisingly. You know, even though, and they talk about this in the movie, even though she said, 
how much she hated living in his, hated you know. Hated living in the ship, yep. hated the food, hated the training, hated everything. everything. Yeah. For 20 years, she hated all of it. Spoiler alert. But yet, when they were on the the planet of nowhere, when they first, when the Guardians of the Galaxy first confront Thanos, because he's gone to the planet to get the reality, the stone, reality yeah. stone from the Collector, which Thor had placed... <laughs> back in the day way back in one of the other that was movies. after i think thor the dark world i think wow that was this the... is where this is where your knowledge really gets tested but um they go to nowhere and through some kind of miracle she injures and mortally wounds right. thanos and he's really upset about it very and sad why why would you do this to me yeah he was upset and she was crying. She was upset. It was a hard thing for her to do. Yes. Even, and, even though she'd been through all this crap with this guy, yes. she still cared about and him. And you know that part of her was like, why am I crying? Because I hate this man. But at the same time, you really saw how much emotion she had. And then, of course, whoosh, the reality right. stone reveals that Thanos is actually alive. Everything is burning. <laughs> everything is burning. The collector is already dead. It's just a whole big fake out. And he basically kidnaps Gamora. Fast forward. <laughs> Fast forward to the, through the rest of the movie. They go in search of the Soul Stone. To obtain the Soul Stone. Well, of course, after Red Skull comes. Just appears out of, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Seriously. Dementor style. I mean, it's great. I mean, at the end of Captain America, <laughs> it's always been a debate as to whether the Tesseract destroyed him or whether it teleported him. Now we know definitively the answer. He got beamed across the universe somewhere. So they're standing on the cliff there after Hugo weaving sort of the sound alike. alike yeah, yeah. Comes out of nowhere and just, you know, tells him that he has to sacrifice right. someone he loves to get the soul stone. And then take it, Matt. At this point, he's got three of them, right? And so he needs the soul stone, the time stone, and the mind stone. Yes. Correct? Yes. As Anne mentioned, Red Skull. Out of nowhere, explains in order for somebody to get the soul stone, there is a price that must be paid. That price is you must sacrifice something, someone that you love. For Thanos, it's funny because Gamora has been brought there to that planet where the soul stone is. I always want to call it Vermeer, but that's actually a planet from the Mass Effect video game. The name is very similar to that. Vermeer. Vormir? Something like yes. that. She goes there with him, and once Red Skull informs the Mad Titan that he must sacrifice something that he, he loves, Gamora thinks she has won the moment, because she basically is in his face, and she's like, <laughs> you don't love anything. Exactly. You don't love anybody. And she's throwing gang signs. You're, Booyah! You're so close to what you want, but you're never going to be able to get it, because you never love anything in your life. You like to kill, you like to torture, you like to destroy, but you don't love. And then it's at that moment that you realize Thanos did love something in his life. He loved he someone. He around and he's crying. He's crying. This big purple Grimace guy is crying. <laughs> I, I love that quip. Quote calls of Grimace. <laughs> and he's, he's crying and he's emotional because he, he understands now the price of the sacrifice and that is Gamora, who he cares about, who he loves, in order to get this stone, which the other stones are somewhat within reach because he knows where Doctor Strange is. 
and he can get the, the time gem from him, he thinks. And he also knows where the Mind Stone is. It's on Earth with Vision, who has already sent his, his henchmen to go and retrieve. So he just needs to get this one on his own, and then he'll worry about the other two. He's so convinced in his convictions that he's right in what he's doing for the universe that he takes Gamora, and in slow motion, with the music swelling, and she's yelling, but there's no sound coming out because it's so dramatic, he takes her, and he throws her off this cliff, and she falls to her death. And this guy, who we think of as the worst person in the world, this monster, can't even look. He closes his eyes, and he looks away, and he's got a tear running down his eye, and you're just like, this is a different type of villain. Not only is he a very well-rounded, fleshed-out character in that they wrote him so well and different, like you said, from the cookie-cutter villain that there's also the fact that one thing that helps is that he is so well done CGI-wise. CGI work on Thanos is A1. Top-notch. I mean, you're, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll go back and, and, and watch it again and really scrutinize the movements and stuff. I don't really think there's a moment in the movie with Thanos that doesn't work, that doesn't, you know, that looks, oh, well, that's clearly CGI, and it takes you out of the movie. There's a couple moments with some of his henchmen, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But with Thanos himself, I think the computer work and the motion capture stuff with Josh Brolin is absolute top shelf. It is. It's fantastic. And so much better than some of the other glimpses that we've seen of Thanos in the other movies. I know the first end credit scene we saw of him, what, nine, ten years ago? Well, that would have been uh, 2012. Oh, with the Avengers. Avengers. So you're right. Okay. I thought maybe it was sooner than that. So it's a far cry from what we see in some of those after credit scenes and those cut scenes, you know, just really short glimpses we see of Thanos over the years because they look more animated. But I think a lot of that has to do too with, you know, I don't think they really knew who they were going to cast in a sense. Yeah. And so they didn't really have the human motion to really make him look. Plus, you know, they weren't close up, really. No. And whereas this is really in your face. Because the the first time we see Thanos is at the end of the Avengers, and it's just sort of, it's close, but it's just sort of a side view Yeah, and he does look very animated in that. He looks very animated. I think the coloring's a little bit different on him. Oh, yeah, his color of his And he, he, he obviously looks nothing like Josh Brolin, because they had not cast Josh Brolin in that role yet. The next time we see him is in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he has a very small role in that mostly I'm sitting on a floating throne (laughs) type of deal. And he looks a little bit more like he looks in this movie, just because you can tell that they did the facial modeling off of Josh Brolin. Yeah. And then I think the only other time we really see him is in the credits for, I think it's Age of Ultron. Where he's just like, fine, I'll do it myself. And he goes and he grabs the Infinity Gauntlet. But you can definitely tell the, the evolution. I mean, the, the CGI work that they did in, in Guardians was just okay. Compared to, you know, what we saw in Infinity War. The graphics that we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy for Thanos. It's in television. Oh yeah, and, and following the CGI thread... The other characters, the children of Thanos, were the other big CGI characters. And we agreed that most of them were fantastic looking, considering that you were they were basically right there. 
the camera was right in their face most of the time. I think the only one that we decided that we thought didn't quite always look spectacular was the female character. Yeah, and her name was Proxima Midnight. See, he knows all this stuff. I read too much. <laughs> That's good, though. But, yeah, she... <laughs> I he laughs at me because I think that she looks like <laughs> she looks like a dark elf and Zelda had a baby. Like she's very I don't even really know how to explain her. She's sort of animalistic, but at the same time she's definitely like a human. She's got the most human face of all I, of them. I think of all, all Which of makes them. her very difficult to CGI right. in my you know. Right. And like you said too, the lighting um, there are a lot of different locations where the lighting is so starkly different. You know, we go from the dark subway station in Scotland where we first really kind of see her engage with the Avengers. And then you also, we go to Wakanda, spoiler alert, we go to Wakanda and she has, you know, the sun beating down on her. And, you know, part of that too is that she's so pale you really kind of look more for imperfections in her than any of the other characters because she's so human-like in a sense. Yeah, and it's funny because I was really trying to pay really close attention to the second time to kind of take in some of the minutiae where you can't really do it. The first time you see the movie, you're just like, there's just too much going on. Your head's spinning, and you're not really paying attention to this stuff. But the second time I watched it, I really tried to pay attention. Proxima Midnight looked pretty good in the darker scenes in the subway and stuff. But once you got to the Wakanda, it was really hit or miss as to whether or not she was believable. Oh, yeah. And I think Anne has a good point on that is of the faces of the children of Thanos or the, the horsemen or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> they're all pretty convincing. But Proxima Midnight is the one because she looks the most human, has the most human features in her face. It doesn't work quite as well as the others, I don't think. Like, Ebony Maw is pretty convincing. He's the guy who's in it for, uh, he has a lot of speaking roles. He's sort of the herald of Thanos and tells everybody about how their salvation is at hand. And, oh, you may die, but it's your salvation and you should be <laughs> thankful for it yes. because Thanos is here to save us all. And he's pretty creepy. Oh, super creepy. Squidward. The fact <laughs> Squidward, they call him Squidward. Oh, best part of the movie. I think that's the one thing in the movie that everyone in the theater laughed at. They did both times we saw it. That Squidward was, got a big laugh. That was Tony good. called him Squidward. <laughs> but he is like super creepy. The way he like domes oh, his yeah. fingers. Oh, goodness. And the way he like floats with his legs straight. I mean, just, oh my God. You're just kind of like, oh. But, yeah, you're right. They do a great job with the CGI. Now, I you know, I was thinking, I was just laughing to myself because the first time around I didn't think this, but the second time around, as I was watching Proxima Midnight, is that how you say is that her the, name? the girl? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Proxima Midnight, you know, when she's standing at the barrier there in Wakanda and she's, like, talking all smack to Black Widow and Captain America and all of them. I keep thinking, how awesome would it be, like, if this huge CGI lion just came out of nowhere <laughs> and, like, ate her? <laughs> I was thinking, that would be so awesome! <laughs> I could just see, like, I could just see Sam go, damn! <laughs> Sorry, that was just, it just crossed my mind for some reason, and I, I had to make sure to tell you that, because it just got a big laugh out of me, because I thought, of good. all the things to CGI... That would be awesome. Would be a lion that would just come out of nowhere and just because she's the one that really talks smack at yes, all the yes. 
children of Thanos. I mean, she was so annoying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, yeah. Her, I wouldn't say that uh, <laughs> the creepy guy, <laughs> he, he was. Ebony Maul. Yeah. He was, he wasn't as annoying. You know, he was creepy. Right. But you were just so freaked out that you just couldn't find him annoying. So, but now I want to know, uh, I know that you had briefly mentioned the gauntlet because you were talking about that, you know, uh, end scene where he was talking, you know, Thanos was basically going, I'll do it myself, you know. So going to the gauntlet, I was really surprised they talked about the gauntlet as much as they did. And they showed us where the gauntlet came from. I mean, I'm a Marvel fan. To me, it was kind of cool because you hear about the gauntlet. You know, it's in comic books. It, they talk about it a lot in anything you read online about the Avengers, theories, whatnot. You know about the gauntlet, but you don't know what you want to know sometimes about the gauntlet. And I wanted to know how and where did the gauntlet get made? And we got to see. And the cool thing, one thing, well, I found it cool. Most people were like, say what was that it was made in the same place as thor's hammer right both both of thor's hammers it's basically a magical glove right. you know that because they needed obviously they needed something forged from the heart of a dying star yes. just like Mjolnir and and stormbreaker mew 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 i love that they call Mjolnir mew mew <laughs> that's what we call Mjolnir so it's kind of funny to use its real name yeah anyway but yeah, I, I was surprised by that, that we just saw sort of the, the mold for the Infinity Gauntlet just sitting around Peter Dinklage's shop. Yes. Oh, but, but it was so neat. It was a nice little side, quick side note, which that movie was great with quick little side notes like that. And it takes a lot of time and effort and a true intergalactic craftsman to make something like that. Yeah. And, you know, we have to note that going to... What's the name of the star? I can see the spelling in my mind. Not even going to try. I Starts can't. with an N. <laughs> but I can't remember. Sounds, sounds Nordic. It's Nordic. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a dying star that's been turned into uh, a forgery, basically. It's where the dwarfs... Is it dwarf? Are they dwarfs? They're dwarfs, okay. even though they're giant Gigantic dwarfs. dwarfs, which has got to be strange for Peter Dinklage because he's huge. You, you know, he's, he plays, and if you've seen, seen him in Game of Thrones or anything, they make a lot of fun of him because he's short and he's the imp and everything so when they put him in infinity war he's a dwarf and they call him a dwarf but he's like you know three the size of a house he's gigantic compared to all the other characters so he's a giant basically yeah. and he has like this big booming voice that sort of makes him sound a little monotone but it was neat to go there because obviously it was very important they didn't just say hey we're going to the star so right. everybody can see how the gauntlet was made it was important because not only did we get to see another product of Thanos' destruction, which was how the gauntlet got made. Basically, he went to uh, Peter Dinklage's character, and he was a dwarf blacksmith. Blacksmith, thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I could see you like, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> what's the word? You go. He basically goes to uh, Peter Dinklage and says. Hey, I, I say Peter Dinklage because I can't remember. I can't the remember the character's name. name. I probably couldn't pronounce it. Yeah, anyway. I'm sorry, but he goes to Peter Dinklage basically and says, you know, hey, I will spare everyone on your planet. It's sort of like a planet because there's like three. He said there was 300 dwarves. Yeah, 
on this mining colony. We'll say it's like a blacksmith colony, yeah. so to speak, yeah. uh, in the heart of this star. And they generate their power from the star. And so he goes to them and says, hey, you know, if you make this for me, this gauntlet, then and forge it with power so that it can hold the Infinity Stones, then I'll basically spare everyone. Well, shame on you, Peter Dinklage, because he basically just killed everyone anyway and left Peter Dinklage alive and took the gauntlet. Oh, yeah, and he chopped his hands off, unfortunately, too. He said, your hands are mine. So now poor Peter Dinklage has, I mean, killer boxing hands because they're made out of, you know, forged metal. But at the same time, you know, not exactly ideal if you're a blacksmith and your whole life, your whole trade is, you know, making weapons. Thor needs a weapon. And a weapon to kill Thanos. Yes. Who has pretty much become a god at this point. Yes. He basically meets up with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Should we backtrack and tell them how he gets there? Nah, we don't have to. <laughs> Basically, like um, an angel had a baby with a pirate. <laughs> Basically, we'll just say that unfortunate events befall the, Thor's ship with all the with all the Asgardian people on the ship. Asgard's not a place; it's a people. Now it's not uh, even a people, yeah, or at so least it's sad. half a people. Half a people. Whatever happened to the other Asgardians? We never even saw that. We never, we never found out. I'm assuming that either they got away or Thanos killed half yeah, of them. Yeah, loose thread. But And I, I'm hoping that that means, just as a quick aside to Thor yeah. Ragnarok, I hope that that means that Valkyrie, Korg, and Meek yes. are all okay. Yeah, me too. Because They were cool. Yeah, we really didn't see too much. It was all at the beginning and it was just all, we're coming into this right. whole huge decimation of Thor's ship. Obviously, you know, we lost some great characters. We lost Loki. Heimdall. Heimdall. And Thor, of course, survived somehow, although we didn't think he survived at first, and somehow <laughs> ends up plastered to the... Guardian ship. To the glass windshield of the, the Guardian Milano. ship. I love how Rocket's like... Wipe it off! Wipe it off! Use the wipers! Use the wipers! And then Thor opens his eye and they're all like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but, uh, so Thor meets up with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy and he decides that, you know, in vengeance of, you know, his brother, Heimdall, and all the Asgardians, he's gonna go ahead and he's gonna not wait for the Avengers, he's gonna go to the star where his hammer was made and see if the dwarves can go ahead and make him something magical to kill Thanos. So that's how he ended up on the star. Thor wields his godlike abilities to help Peter Dinklage get the star going, get the kilns melting, and makes he makes him, ta-da, Stormbreaker! Or I should say it, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. <laughs> you can't just say, Stormbreaker. You have to say, <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> Stormbreaker, which, how impressed are you? My dad loved Thor, and I had actually heard of Stormbreaker before this movie. I know, your mind is blown, isn't it? It is blown. Yes. I will say that I didn't exactly know it was an axe. An axe is pretty cool, and he totally kicks ass with it. Oh, it is. We, we've kind of gotten heavy plotty into, into what's been going on in the movie. I wanted to... We just get so excited. It, I have it, to tell you everything. It is, it is great. <laughs> and I, I, I do love Thor's new weapon, and I love the fact that they don't have a handle. 
and Groot becomes the handle. Oh, Groot is like Splits this, himself off and lets part of him become the handle. The best part of this is that Groot is a moody teenager. Yes. Which you see a little bit of that in the... Kind of apathetic about things in general. Yeah, you see a little bit of it at the end of the second Guardians of the Galaxy. Is it the second one? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he's basically becoming a teenager. He's playing little arcade games when he should be doing certain things. Right. Not paying attention to anybody yeah. or anything. Mouthing but, off to people. But Groot does have some amazing moments where you sort of see him grow up in a sense. Yeah. And one of those is when Thor exerts himself to the point of... He's pretty ex- much going to die unless he's going his, 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 to be so tied to this weapon, just yes. like he was with Mjolnir. That if this weapon doesn't get made and forged, Thor's, he Thor's basically done for. he basically needs the magic of the right. Axe he, he has overexerted him. himself unless yeah. this magical axe is able to exist. Yes, sounds hokey, but it works. But yeah, he basically makes him a handle because <laughs> Peter Dinklage is going. Where's the handle? <laughs> I need the handle. <laughs> Can someone help me find the handle? <laughs> and he's running around like a crazy person. <laughs> And, of course, you know, that's when Groot drops his video game and says, hey, let's do some stuff, Groot. Yep. So he basically, he doesn't say I am Groot, but he does grow out his arm, makes a really cool Nordic-looking old-school handle, and chops off his arm. He's like, yeah! it's It's pretty awesome. And next thing you know, ta-da, Thor shows up with his buddies. And they didn't play the... Uh, Song from the I'm so Ragnarok I'm so movie. torn on this because when Thor makes his grand entrance and he lands, they play the Avengers theme, which is great because I love the oh, Avengers yeah. theme. But one thing that a lot of people loved about Thor Ragnarok was, was the, the use of the immigrant song, and I think it would have been awesome if when Thor starts kicking a bunch of butt in Wakanda, if they'd start playing that song as a callback to Thor Ragnarok. That would have been neat because he's, you know, basically he's all electrical and yes. blue-eyed and crazy and just throwing his hammer and kicking ass and taking names. Or as, or as Mantis says, <laughs> <laughs> taking, taking ass and kicking <laughs> names. <laughs> I, I do love in that scene where that Anne's referencing there with Mantis, they just sort of pause on this long shot of Tony Stark, and he's just absolutely devastated by the hand that he has been dealt with as far as, as the allies that are there. And he just takes a moment when she gets that phrase wrong, and he's just like, all right, we'll try to move past this. Yes, yes. I want to get your gauge on... We, we, one of the things that's nice about a big crossover event like this is that we get the chance for a lot of characters who don't either who either don't get to interact much or have never interacted before get a chance to work together. What kind of pairings did you like in this one? I liked Doctor Strange and Tony Stark. I also... I can't really say that Captain America and Black Widow did anything for they me really uh, you know it, it didn't really strike me the first time that mm-hmm. i saw it but this time the second time i saw the movie i'm like boy cap just didn't get much to do yeah to he me, and window didn't so the guardians of the galaxy with tony stark dr strange and thor um were probably the best you know what i mean they that was probably the best i really you know the only Thing, the only relationship, the only interaction I got anything out of was Wanda and Vision. I really liked the interactions between, and of course Groot was just sort of along for the ride basically, but I really liked the interactions between Thor and Rocket. 
Oh, I thought gosh. those characters played off each other oh, really well. Or Thor and Rabbit. <laughs> Thank you, sweet Rabbit. That was one of my favorite lines of the whole movie, he just, when he gave him the eye. <laughs> he just kept thinking that Rocket was a rabbit, and he just, called him yeah. Rabbit the whole movie, which, of course, got a chuckle out of everybody. Well, because it's just, it's so Thor, because he's sort of familiar with our planet, but he's still got some gaps in his knowledge and gets things mixed up. And oh, yeah. So, it's really funny, and then I like it when the Guardians, uh, the Wiper part with the Guardians, and then when they when they do get Thor on the table, and everybody <laughs> is pretty much smitten yes. with Thor, including Drax. You know, he's like, you know, this is this is like an angel had a baby with a pirate, and you know, because <laughs> Thor's got the eye patch on at that time, and then Gamora's like feeling his muscles, and Quill's like, stop feeling his muscles, and <laughs> you know, they're just like, this guy's a real specimen, and then at some point. Quill starts, like, dropping his voice and talking like Thor, and then they're like, why are you talking like that? He's like, he's mocking me. No, he's mocking me. And it's really good. <laughs> I enjoyed those uh, interactions. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I mean, it was sad, but I really enjoyed the interaction between Gamora and Thanos because it was so important to the movie. Oh, of course. We hadn't seen those characters interact. We only had heard her talk about him and then him talk a little bit about her. And then I really, it, very small moments. I really enjoyed when Okoye from the Dora Milaje and Black Widow kind of had some team up. They fought against Proxima Midnight. Girl power. I thought that was pretty cool. I liked the little moment between Rocket and Bucky where Bucky picked him up and they did like a 360, yeah. you know, firing. I thought that was really cool. And it was a nice little callback to the first Guardians when Rocket got on Groot's shoulder and they, they sort of did that same, a very similar move. So I liked I liked those interactions. I thought the thing when they were coming to Wakanda and, you know, uh, Rhodey told Banner that he should probably bow <laughs> to King that was a good one. T'Challa. And then T'Challa's like, No, no, we, we don't we don't do that here, you know, and I thought that was funny. So they, they threw in little moments like that that I think were uh, really, really fun. And then of course the interactions between like like you mentioned, Quill, Doctor Strange, Stark Spider-Man and Drax and Mantis were yeah. were pretty fun, too. And they did a great job. It is hard writing for a lot of characters. So many. So many characters Oh, my juggle. gosh. Oh, my gosh. And we knew that these characters were going to be awesome interacting with each other just because of their personalities. As the movies went by and the years went by, we thought, how fun is it going to be when we finally get to Infinity Wars? And, you know, the last, you know, not really the last, last, but the last of the Avengers movies. How cool is that going to be? And it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But at the same time, they do a really good job of leaving room in the movie for the characters to really kind of show that they're still themselves. Right. In a sense. You know, they're not always bantering off each other. You know, we definitely still see, like, one of the best examples. And I think it's hilarious because I'm one of those weird people that loves, like, shiny objects. I love that they always have a callback to Rocket being a collector. Because raccoons obviously love shiny objects. They love stuff. You know, they love to just basically steal stuff and, like, hide it in their little lair. And, of course, that was one of the funny things in Guardians of the Galaxy was that yeah, he would play people for money, but then later he would, like, sneak into their rooms or steal something from them. And had, had Quill get that leg from that guy for oh, absolutely no reason. yes, from the prison. In the first movie. Yeah, that was pretty funny. He was like, what do you need this leg for? And he's like, nothing, I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then Thor lost an eye, 
and Rocket, trying to be nice, gives him an eye that he had won in a poker game, so to speak. <laughs> and it was kind of like, he's like, you won this? And he's like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I won like a thousand credits or something from him. I just stole this out of his room afterwards. You know? room and, stole and then Bucky, like you were talking about the spinning scene with them shooting in like a big 360 angle, which was really cool. And it, it Bucky really didn't mean to do it. He just kind of picked him up out of the yeah, way. It was kind of a sort panic of, moment yeah. and they needed to yeah. clear some space. But it was so funny because he said something like, um, how much for the gun? How much for the gun? And Bucky, Bucky says, it's not for sale. And he goes, how much for the arm? And he goes, not for sale. And he goes, oh, I'm going to get that I'm arm. I'm going to a way to get that arm. <laughs> so that would be great if they call that back to the to the next movie. But it's going to be, I think that's going to be hard given everything that happened in the end. But we never know. Hopefully they'll be able to save the day in the next movie. And Well, let, let's go ahead and talk because I, I think the one thing that is the most talked about part of this movie is the one that, and they did a, I've got to give a big, round of applause to the folks at Disney and Marvel because when it came to the marketing for this movie, mm. they did a lot of great stuff. They were very... They basically flat out lied to you in the trailers in some of the promotional footage that they showed because there's that one hero shot that they show all the time and it's all the heroes sort of running it coming toward the camera and you see the hulk running in the background of that shot the hulk's not even in the movie except nope. for the very first scene the he hulk comes has up he her... shows up he gets his, his he gets his rear end kicked in by thanos and then he disappears for the rest of the movie yeah the hulk has performance issues unfortunately yeah. i think because he got his ass kicked i think he's scared i think he's yeah. scared of thanos i mean he was on sakar for 2 years was the grandmaster's champion nobody ever beat him until you know, Thor gave him a pretty good challenge, although it's sort of up in the air as to who actually won that one. <laughs> Thor will tell you he won it, and Hawk will tell you he won it. You know, so he's basically been able to beat up anybody in his whole life that he's ever wanted to beat up. And then he meets this guy, Thanos. Thanos just wipes the floor with him, knocks him out. And I think the Hulk's a little scared. Doesn't want to be embarrassed like that again. So he refuses to come out, which is why we don't see Hulk in the latter part of the movie. But they do give Banner the Hulkbuster armor. So he's fought against that as the Hulk before, but now he's in it, and he's trying to Hulk out. He really wants to Hulk out, but he can't, and the Hulk refuses to come out. But I, I do think one thing that a lot of people are talking about with this movie, as I was mentioning, I got off on a tangent there with, with the Hulk, but they hit a lot of stuff in it, mostly because they wanted to keep the ending as under wraps as they could. So what happens is they decide at the end of the movie, Vision's got the last of the Infinity Stones that Thanos needs. And so they give Scarlet Witch the impossible choice, or the impossible task of destroying this Infinity Stone. Because her powers can work with that particular... Because she got her powers from that stone. Her powers can work with it in a certain way and shatter it, the Vision believes. So she goes ahead and does it, even though she knows that it will kill the Vision. And so Thanos is coming at her. She destroys the gem... And you're like, oh, good, Thanos can't get the gem anymore. Yay. But Thanos has also acquired the Time Stone. Thanos reverses time and then plucks the... So we get to see the Vision die again, which is, you know, thanks for that. And he basically rips the he rips the stone out of the Vision's head, and then he's got all, all the Infinity Stones. Thor comes in, hits him with Stormbreaker, wounds him really, really badly. I don't know how badly, but very, very badly. But then Thanos tells him he should have gone for the head. Then he snaps his fingers... And the Infinity, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet looks to me like it's fried after that. Mm -hmm. And it has served its purpose. Apparently it's a one-use one use gauntlet. One, uh, one click wonder. And one snap wonder, we then, should say. Then all of the characters 
because half the half the population of the universe, not just of Earth, not just of Wakanda, not just of you know the Avengers, everybody in the universe cut in half. People just start disappearing. It's for, for those of us who follow the movies closely, we know that you know Black Panther made more than a billion dollars worldwide. There's no way that Black Panther's mm-hmm. going away. Sony is sharing this character of Spider-Man with Marvel, and Spider-Man is the world's most popular superhero, sells the most merchandise. He's not going to die. So we know these characters who disappeared aren't necessarily going to be gone for good, but it's still heartbreaking. But they're gone for good right now. Right now they're gone for good. I mean, and it was. It was very shocking, wasn't it? The first time we saw the movie, I thought... Okay, if they get rid of... Because some of the first to go were like Wanda Maximoff, of course. Right, and Bucky. And Bucky. And some of the, Falcon. We always... I say the superfluous characters, but they're not superfluous. They're supporting characters. Right, they're, they're not our main Avenger guys. They're the ones that we've grown to like throughout the years that have really kind of added more to the stories that we've seen. And we love them for that fact. They all have wonderful character traits. But they're not the main folks. But they're not the main focus. And but then they start in with Black Panther. That that one, the first time I saw, wow, surprised me. Just because I knew how popular of a character that he had become, how popular oh, that movie yeah. was, how much I liked that character from Civil War onto Black Panther and into this movie, mm-hmm. and then to see him go and to see Okoye, just like her mind was blown. What what just happened? And we go to Titan, and we see Drax go, and we see Mantis go, and Quill. Peter Quill, yep. who's then one they, of the main characters in this movie. They hit the main characters, and it really gets you. And then you feel so bad for Spider-Man, because this is this kid <sighs> that Tony Stark has brought into this this fold. Probably shouldn't have, but he did. He has become so attached to this kid, even though he'll never admit it to anybody. And because Spider-Man is who he is, he also has a spider sense. And he knows what's coming for him. And he's just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. It is. It, it wrecks people in the yeah. theater when that when happens. When he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Stark. I'm sorry, Mr. And Stark. And just, if you've not seen how they actually die in the movie, it, you know, it's bloodless, but in the same way. It's, it's grim. It's grim because it's like, if you've ever seen Harry Potter and Voldemort, remember Voldemort disintegrates into ash and mm-hmm. just floats into the air. That's what everybody That's does. That's what happens to everyone. They basically disintegrate into ashes. And they're gone. And for you, it's very finite because you think, oh my God, there's no body left. There's nothing. Just you're just gone. You're like, oh my God, there's no way we could possibly get them back. So it is very jarring. And I think probably, the, like you said, the deaths that really hit us hard, definitely Black Panther because obviously the shock of it. Right. The shock. Peter Parker because... It's so emotional. And Tom Holland's so good in that scene. With he, him, he and he and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, with him and Tony Stark, you can definitely tell that Tony is completely shocked by what's happening. Devastated. And you know the one we definitely saw coming. At least I knew was going to happen was Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, yeah. And we should probably talk about the Time Stone. Okay. Because that played a big part in the end of the movie. But before we do that, I just want to mention one more that didn't really get me the first time. And it's not like oh, I'm bawling in my no. eyes or anything, but one that really got me the second time around was Drax as yeah. he was disintegrating because he looks over and he goes, Quill? It's a little moment, 
but it's to me it was very emotional because those are two characters who don't always see eye to eye. They're kind of antagonistic towards each other. Yeah. And for Drax to kind of look oh, to sure. Quill in that moment kind of got to me a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, because it didn't happen at the end of the movie, I don't think a lot of people really think too hard about it. But with you talking about Drax and Quill, you know, it was a small moment. But I think the fact that their relationship had grown over the years from kind of complete adversaries to kind of friendly adversaries and yeah. friends is, you know, very much so it's so touching. And then one of the things that really got me, and I think a lot of people don't think about it too hard because it's not at the end of the movie is Tom Hiddleston's death. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that, you know, it happens at the beginning of the movie. It's the first harbinger of yes. things are going to get really bad in this Probably movie. Probably the first major character death besides Heimdall. I mean, right. Heimdall was Heimdall a goes first. But Tom Hiddleston, you know, given his relationship with Thor and his relationship to the other Marvel movies, was a big character death. Because, obviously, for anyone who's seen the Marvel movies, you know, Loki dies, quote-unquote, and comes back. But Thanos really hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, he killed Loki and says, no resurrection this time. Yeah. And Thor and Loki had had some little moments um, where, you know... Thanos came aboard the ship. He basically threatened to kill Thor unless Loki gave him the Tesseract. And, of course, Thor naively was like, of course, it you know. It was destroyed on Asgard. My brother would never have the Tesseract. And of, course of course he has the Tesseract. We know from You're Thor. You're the worst brother ever. Yeah, we know from Thor Ragnarok he has the Tesseract. He actually took it before Asgard fell. Um, probably as insurance. I, th I think so. I would think. I would, I mean, honestly, Loki is Loki. He's always, you know, he was always going to be Loki and was always going to take that, but I don't think I would have left the Tesseract yeah. behind. Honestly, yeah. And, and I think what's interesting is it just shows how much his relationship with Thor has grown over the years that he can, Thor is just like, you're the worst brother ever. But now it's coming from a place of, I know, I accept who you are. You're still my brother and I love you, but... Why'd you have to bring the Tesseract right. aboard the, you know? And, and I, I did love <clears throat> when, because Loki basically tries to pull a fast one on Thanos. Yeah. And he's trying to pledge his undying loyalty to him. And he goes through all these titles, you know, the true king of Jotunheim and all this stuff. But he says Odin's son yeah, when he's going name. through those. And it kind of gets you yeah. a little bit. He looks at Thor. They have a little moment in that, you know, because he did make peace with his dad right. in the end. Loki did in Ragnarok. So I think that, you know, when Loki dies too, I mean, Thor is, that's one of the deaths that really he's avenging when he. Right. Oh gets, yeah. That's Thor's motivation is. When he hits Thanos at the end. You killed my brother and I, I'm, yeah. and he said he was going to get him for it. So yeah. I don't think he necessarily did, but. But yeah, that was one that, you know, we shouldn't overlook. I think a lot of people, because they're so shocked by the ending of the movie. Right. You forget you that the very forget. first, one of the first things you see is yeah. Heimdall and Loki gone off the, yeah. off the map. And those two actors and those two characters really, you know, they deserve a lot of praise because, you know, they have been sincere constant through the through all the marvel movies i mean they've been great so and hiddleston's been such a popular character oh in yeah geek culture you know yeah as as loki so we want to talk a little bit about the time stone yes because one of the things is dr strange and iron man and spider-man end up on this ship that's headed for titan yes and 
Doctor Strange wants to yeah. turn the ship around yeah. so that they can protect the Time Stone. Tony convinces him, hey, you know what? Thanos is going to come to Earth. Maybe we should try to fight him on his territory. Not sure it's the best logic in the world, but hey, you know, let's let's go with it. And Doctor Strange pointedly tells him, okay, we'll do what you want to do, but if it comes down to, you know, your life or the kids and the Time Stone, I'm picking the Time Stone. Mm. Nothing's going to stop me from protecting the stone. That is my job. That is my duty. That's what I've got to do. A little bit later, after they've gotten on Titan... And they've talked to the Guardians. They, they've found the Guardians by that point. Because they, they're going to Titan too to, to confront Thanos. Doctor Strange says he has looked in the future at 14,605,000 outcomes. Yep. Of how things are going to end. And only one of them was successful. This is a guy who had just said a little bit earlier in the movie. No matter what happens... You know, if it's your life or if it's the kid's life, you're going to die because I'm going to, you know, protect the Time Stone above all else. When Thanos is about ready to kill Tony Stark, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Doctor Strange says, Thanos, if you'll spare his life, I'll give you the Time Stone. And so he saves Tony Stark's life and basically seals the fate of the universe in this way because that was the fifth Time Stone that Thanos needed. He just needed the Mind Stone after that from Vision. Tony's like, why did you do that? And he says, it's the end game, Stark. And then later, when everybody starts to fade away, just before Doctor Strange turns to Ash, he says, it was the only way, or something to, to that effect. It's the only thing we could do. My thought on that is that in the futures that Doctor Strange saw, it didn't really matter what they did. In the one future where they were successful, to me, that says... Thanos was able to assemble the gauntlet, get all the stones, and blink everybody out of existence. That happened in the future in which they won, so there's got to be a way to reverse everything from that point. And in order for that to happen, Tony Stark's got to be alive, so that's why he sacrificed the Time Stone for Tony. That was that was my reading of it. I was just so, I was so in shock by everyone's death that I thought, he had to have done something. You know, Dr. Strange... Put a hex on the yeah, Time Stone. Yeah, And maybe he did. Maybe that's part of the plan who knows well the part of basically i evolved in a sense okay. beca- between the first and second viewings because the first time like i mentioned to you the first time i thought we have these discussions in the car on the way home by the way after the movie um, yeah we, we went completely show note free on this one i usually assemble my talking points for stuff to talk about we're just we're winging it we're, we're freewheeling this we're one. shooting the breeze <laughs> <laughs> free falling after seeing the movie the first time i think I, like i said i was so horrified i think by the end i or more so in shock than shock. horrified shock. but i was just so in shock that i thought he had to have done something you know that can't be the real time stone maybe he's making it look like they're all dying but maybe he's somehow figured out a way to transport everybody to another planet until, you know, and make Thanos think he won. The second time, I really do agree with you because I think that it makes sense that Doctor Strange would see those futures, you know, and looking at it with a more level head and not so much in shock. He basically has a lot of faith that the Avengers are going to be able to fix this. Yeah, we're going to have to just go ahead and bite the bullet. People are going to have to die. And he's okay with that because he knows that if he can save Tony, if he can save, you know, the Avengers that are meant to be saved, in the end, it's all going to be worth it because they're going to be able to stop Thanos. Hopefully, 
fingers crossed, figure out a way to use the Infinity Stones to basically reverse the effect. But in order to do that for now, you gotta take the L. Yeah. You gotta, you take, gotta the take the loss. Which is, it's hard for the group to swallow. I mean, when you look at Captain America, when you look at Black Widow, when you look at Tony, at the end of the movie, I mean, they're all just completely defeated. They're all completely at a loss. They're like, oh my God, what do we do now? Well, and, and these are people who are not used to losing. Oh no. Y you know, even when the odds are against them and the situation is grim, they're usually able to rally to their cause and fix mm -hmm. things. And Quill's in complete disbelief. Yeah. You know, what did we lose? Tony can't believe it. You know, Spider-Man's gone. And Captain America, what, could Bucky go? Mm -hmm. You know, and then after they're, they're just like, what happened? He's just like, oh, God. You know, he just cannot process. Fathom what's you know, happening. Because he knows just because Bucky's gone, that means half the universe is gone. Mm -hmm. And they had their chance to stop him, and they weren't able to. This is just my opinion, and I'd, I'd be interested to know yours, too. I think that probably the most valuable Infinity Stones in the war, I think, will definitely be the Time Stone. And I really think the Soul Stone. I think so, too. The Time Stone, just basically because we've seen what, what it can do. You know, in the Doctor Strange movies, uh, he was able oh, to, yeah. to put that time loop that basically saved uh, reality or saved the Earth. And then... <laughs> it was funny because... When, I've when come to bargain with you, Thanos. <laughs> when Doctor Strange, we did that too. On the way home, we thought, how funny would that be if Doctor Strange decided to do the same thing he did in the other movie, where he somehow figured out a way to get Thanos in a time loop, and, and basically was like, instead of Mamu, I've come to bargain. It's like Thanos, I've come to bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, but no, the, we've seen what the Time Stone can do, and it's very yeah. important. So any moments that they have failed at or that they want to try again, it gives them the opportunity to go and do that. Oh, sure. The Soul Stone, I think, is a real key, the real key, too, because it, the other ones are important because they have different abilities well, and powers. Well, like the one that was in the Tesseract was in, like, four movies. Right. I mean... But really, the Soul Stone... Because they put so much emphasis on this. I mean, it, it, it was... Oh, yeah. For a long time, we wondered where was the Soul Stone. And a lot yeah. of people's thought was, well, there was that big meteorite that hit in Wakanda and it gave him all this technology. And then, you know, in Black Panther, he's able to commune with, you know, people who have passed away. And that's sort of like soul. So you thought perhaps that that was where it is. But soul power. You thought perhaps that would be where that would go. But then it was, they, they said, Ryan Cooler, who directed Black Panther, said, no, this has nothing to do with the Infinity Stones. And I didn't necessarily believe that. Because you can always retroactive continuity on that. But, as it turns out, they had a very specific role for the, the Soul Stone. Mm. And that was, you know, sacrifice, we got to get it. And Thanos managed to, to, to get it that way by sacrificing Gamora. Now, in the comic books, I believe the Soul Stone also has its own sort of realm. Mm -hmm. A soul realm where all the people who have died, their, their souls are sort of gathered yeah. there. And I think Gamora, having been the sacrificial lamb for the Soul Stone, is within the Soul Stone and still has a possibility of being brought back. Yes. And I think all of the people who have died might be in that Soul Realm and have the possibility of being brought back. Now, what is the price of that going to be? And that is what we're going True. to find out in the next Avengers movie. Because yeah. it's very important. We hear Steve say it, Steve Rogers say it, and we hear Vision reiterate it you know we don't trade lives for lives but that's the whole point of the soul stone is in order to get the soul stone thanos had to trade gamora's life i think maybe to get those people back who died at the snap of a finger 
there might have to be a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It might need to be multiple sacrifices. Because what we have set up here is all of these new Avengers that that have joined the MCU in the last few years are the ones who faded off into dust. We didn't see Hawkeye at all in this movie, but I'm going to assume that he didn't get snapped away. I mentioned Hawkeye specifically because Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Thor are the original Avengers. They're the ones who appeared in the 2012 team-up movie. That was the first big team-up of the MCU. They're the old guard of the OGs, and it's going to be up to them to save everybody. Ant-Man and the Wasp are in there as well. They've got their movie coming out in July. It's not going to have anything to do with Infinity War unless it's in the end of the movie or a post-credit sequence where the events of Infinity War overlap. But they're probably still around, too. It, you know, it's really interesting to see how it's going to be. And I think it'll be the original avenging team that's going to have to fix everything. And I think I think somebody's going to have to lay down a sacrifice butt on that. And I, I think it's going to be Cap. Like you had said before, when we were talking just after the first time we saw the movie, we were surprised that Captain America and or Iron Man didn't bite the bullet in this movie. I thought that was going to be kind of a foregone conclusion just because they wanted to tell you how high the stakes were mm. in this movie. And both those actors have been in the MCU for a long time. And I just thought this was going to be their swan song. But I think it will be, but it's not going to come till the next movie. Well, and so more so for Captain America, because we know that Chris Evans isn't going to be reprising his role after, the obviously, the end of the Marvel. Well, I mean, who knows? I mean... You just don't know with these things. Marvel has outright lied about some things sometimes <laughs> in order to keep people in suspense. Sure. And I, I don't necessarily think Chris Evans is, is doing that or whatever, but he could he could have re-upped his contract. You just you don't know. I do think he would like to move on and do some other projects. I think he'd like to do, get to do some directing and, and things like that. So I would not be surprised to see you know him say goodbye to the MCU. And then one more thing we need to mention... And then we're going to close off here. But in the post credit sequence, we got to see Nick Fury for the first time since, I believe, Age of Ultron. Last time we saw Nick. Yes. Samuel L. and Maria Hill, you know, they, they faded away. But yes. before he faded away, Samuel L. Jackson got out his space beeper and uh, sent, a message <laughs> out, space sent a message out into the depths of the cosmos. And somebody answered. And uh, you just basically saw a starburst symbol. And some red and blue. And basically that is the symbol for Captain Marvel. And it's one of those things in the movie theater. I follow the MCU stuff real closely. But I'm not like comic book aficionado. Oh, if you'll go to issue number 175 of this run. Written by this guy and this guy. And drawn by this guy. You'll find this information about this character. I'm not quite that guy. But I did know that was a symbol for Captain Marvel. But you were like, I know that's important. But why is that important? Yeah, I was very young in the 90s. I was definitely a child of the 90s. My father was into comic books. My brothers read comic books. But I really didn't know much about Captain Marvel. I knew... And really, your dad didn't either, because when he yeah. stopped reading comic books, Captain Marvel was a dude. I am just now learning about Captain Marvel. I mean, I guess I had heard about her, maybe, but I wasn't familiar, we'll say. Well, and she's a... She's a character who has been around for a while she was miss marvel for a while then they promoted her to captain but that that's been a fairly recent thing and probably within the last five or six years she's become a really important figure and she's one of the most powerful characters 
in the Marvel universe and in, in the comics. So, and I think that'll yeah. probably translate to the films as well. For those who aren't familiar with Captain Marvel, and of course me being probably one of them, what are Captain Marvel's powers exactly? Well, I would say she's kind of, in a way, she's the sort of the Superman of the Marvel Universe. She's a former Air Force pilot and then gets imbued with these incredible powers that come from Kree, okay. uh, which is an alien. Ronan was a Kree. <gasps> yeah! Uh, but, yeah, I would say she's kind of the Superman of the Universe. So that's why we'll see Ronan again. In, in, the, um, yeah, Captain in, in the Captain Marvel movie. Okay, that makes sense. But her powers are kind of your, your standard, you know, your flight, super strength, energy beams. Basically, she's a female Superman. Bas- basically Superman, <laughs> more or less. Except she is from Earth as, a, as opposed to Superman being from a different planet. But okay. her, her DNA gets fused. There's a Kree warrior named Marvell, And that was the original Captain Marvel, Captain Marvell. And um, he was a alien hiding on Earth in disguise. And then they kind of fell in love with each other, I think. And then there was some sort of ac- lab accident in which his DNA kind of got fused into hers. And then she developed powers. So I don't know if a similar story... There, there's been a bunch of different versions of how Captain Marvel got her powers. Hmm. I don't know what the, the latest version is. I would imagine it'll be something along those lines of, you know, she gets... Cree in her somehow DNA, and that enables her to, to have powers. And the interesting thing about her movie is it's going to be set in the 90s, like the early yeah, 90s. we're doing a rewind. Right, so Nick Fury has two eyes, I would imagine, you know, out of fan service, they'll show you how he lost one of them. Yeah, they'll probably do CGI to make Tony Stark look younger. Well. <laughs> if he's in the movie, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have a cameo, because he'd be a young man then. And yeah. then uh, we'll see Phil Coulson who we haven't seen in the movies since Avengers in 2012, even wow. though he's been running missions on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. every week. Never been mentioned in the movie since, so we'll see a young Phil Coulson. Like I said, Ronan the Accuser will be in that movie. Lee Pace, Lee Pace, Anne's favorite. Love Lee Pace. And, and his magnificent eyebrows. I think it's Korath the Pursuer, the, the guy that's like, I'm Star-Lord. Who? That guy <laughs> that's uh, one of Ronan's henchmen, he's going to be in it. As well, so and Jude Law is going to be in that yes. movie. He'll he'll play the the Marvel character. So I do like Jude Law. That that Marvel character from the the Kree agent is going to play some sort of role in that movie as well. The big question is if the easy there's an easy answer to this question. Where has Captain Marvel been all this time? And the answer is well, we didn't know if we were going to put her in our cinematic universe or not. So that's that's yeah. that's the real answer. It'll be interesting to see what in-universe answer they come up with for why this super powerful human that is out there with like the power she is the most probably other than thor probably the most powerful character that you have out there where has she been it's like them having this nuclear weapon lying around that they could have used all this time but never did right so So it's like why did you not use this weapon i'm assuming that for some reason or another has to have a reason i'm assuming that she has been running missions out intergalactic and is Mm. way far away and would only be needed to be called in under the most direst of circumstances. Yeah. Although you would think a dire circumstance would include a Chitauri invasion. <laughs> or an AI murder bot. True. Or pretty that much... things creepy Pinocchio songs. Pretty much anything that the Avengers or many of these heroes have faced. 
would have been a call a, a reason to call in uh, Captain Marvel, but you know we'll we'll, we'll find out why yeah. that is. That'll be really interesting. Just kind of uh, since we are getting to the end of the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. just real quick, who are probably after seeing all the movies, who would you say are your favorite Avengers or favorite characters in the Avengers? Captain America, probably at the top of my list. I love Cap. I love the first Captain America movie. I love Captain America Winter Soldier, and I love Captain America Civil War. I, I just I love everything about Steve Rogers because this is a guy who was a weak guy and got superpowers, and instead of bullying other people, he st- stands for everything good and decent in this world. So I, I love him. I really like Black Widow. I think she is, she really wasn't in Infinity War that much, didn't really have many moments, but my goodness, in the first Avengers movie, she is an MVP, and I loved yeah. her interactions with Steve in Winter Soldier. Well, and she's really cool, because she's sort of like a Batman character, like Hawkeye, yeah, where... doesn't have any superpowers. Yeah, they're just, just really highly cha- trained uh, assassins, you know, and professionals that and, and, kick your ass. Cap's powers aren't always the most um, consistent as far as his strength levels and stuff because obviously he was able to hold back Thanos, although maybe Thanos was just toying with him or whatever. But I also like that Steve's kind of an everyman, you know, kind of character, and he gave up so much to be where he is. I just really like that character. The guy that built the foundation of the whole MCU is Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr., I, I will never get tired of just the snarky pop culture references of that character. Reindeer Games? That was probably Ra- my reindeer favorite. Reindeer Games and, and the ACDC, you know, Shoot the Thrill and all that stuff. I just think it's <laughs> Point great. Point Break? <laughs> Point Break, you know. I just, I, I love I love all that stuff. I probably have the oh, most affection God. for pretty much any of the original Avengers in that team. Sure. And Everyone it, loves the original Avengers. And, I mean, and I, I actually even like Hawkeye. And a lot of people are like, Hawkeye's dumb. Oh, yeah. What's this guy with the arrows doing? But I always like Jeremy Renner. And so he's up there. And then of, of the newer people that have been put in, I, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is so great. Definitely. And um, so he's he's one of mine. I, I, I like Bucky, too, but mostly because of his association oh, sure. with, with Captain America. There there aren't too many. You know, people have their, their favorites, and I definitely named mine. There aren't really too many of the characters that I don't like. Yeah. So what about you? Who are your favorite Avengers, if you had to name a handful? Well, I would definitely say that at the top of the list would be Thor. Yes. I love Thor, mostly because, you know, he's a god. He's one of the strongest people in the universe, but yet he's so vulnerable Especially in the first Thor movie when he gets cast out of right. Asgard, you know, and he's trying to make it on Earth and failing miserably. And, and in Infinity War, there's that moment with Rocket where Thor is kind of going through all the stuff that he's lost. And sure. you think about everything over the last few movies that has happened to him. You know, he lost his mom, he lost his dad, now he's lost his brother, his sister was murderous, and, you know... Heimdall was, like, Heimdall his best friend. Heimdall got killed. They, yeah. were, they were best buddies. Rest in peace, Warriors 3. No yes. one ever talks about them. Because, yep. you know, they had a blink and miss cameo in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, but but I, I'm sorry, yeah, Thor... No, and... no, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, Thor is definitely one of my favorites. I also, you know, I love Iron Man. Um, mostly because, you know, Iron Man is so complex. Obviously has a great backstory and um it's kind of a neat thing to see someone who sort of he starts out as 
the last person you would expect to become a superhero right. and then becomes a superhero. More so because he wants to change, you know, his reality, like his life, basically. He wants to be someone completely the opposite of who he is. He's not happy with who he is. And so he decides to become someone different. Obviously, you know, he's Howard Stark's son, which I love Howard Stark, you know, and his relationship with Captain America. I mean, it's all just so great. Agent Carter. I got to mention Agent Carter. Yes. Who doesn't love Agent Carter? I miss that show. It's such a great show. Yeah, definitely Thor. And I love Iron Man. You know, I have to say Black Panther is growing on me. I really like Black Panther. Uh, more so than I really thought I would. I mean, obviously I had heard about Black Panther, but I didn't really know too much about it until we kind of came across him in Civil War. They talked about um, Captain America's shield, Vibranium. You know, that's one of their biggest, what they're known for. Right. So Black Panther, I'm really enjoying. I think, uh, like I told you, a dark horse for me that throughout these movies has been Wanda Maximoff. She's a character that I really did not start out liking. Well, I don't think, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't Age think anybody started out liking her at yeah. all, her or her brother. I think mainly because I love X-Men so much and the fact that that whole situation is just messed up yes. between the movies and what Marvel owns and what Marvel doesn't own with the X-Men and then how they portrayed the Maximoff twins, you know, that they're not mutants. They were actually created by the power of the Infinity Stone. She really has, really has grown. I thought she was really good in Civil War. Oh, she was great in Civil War. And then she was good in this movie. Because they, they asked a lot. We really hadn't seen Scarlet Witch and Vision really interact all that much. They had the one mm-hmm. little brief scene in Age of Ultron they build it in Civil War, and then it kind of has its culmination in this movie. So it really hadn't had a lot of time compared to a lot of the other characters. Like, even the Guardians have had two movies for you to get to know those characters. They've had to try to find those, steal those moments. Kind of like the characters had to steal their moments together after the events of Civil War. Try to make that relationship work. So they had to do a lot of heavy lifting to make you care about Vision and Wanda. And I think they accomplished it in this movie. They actually did a good job considering how little time they had to kind of throw that relationship together in a sense. Yeah, because they, they spent a little bit of time on that. And in this movie with so many characters and so much going on, spending a little bit of time on something is spending a lot of time yeah. on something. Well, and I think, honestly, her character started to grow for me in, um, is it Civil, Civil War? War? Yeah. I think so, yeah. That would be the movie where she accidentally killed those people when they were trying to uh, save, you know, the civilians in Africa. Yeah. And it was just heartbreaking because, you know, she has these powers, and here she went from being a bad guy to an Avenger, And then, you know, she's helping people, she's helping people, and then all of a sudden she's back to being the bad guy, or at least she thinks she's back to being the bad guy because she can't wield her powers correctly, you know, she's not focused. So, and then, of course, she comes back at the end in Civil War, they all kind of have that big fight, and she really kind of proves herself by the end of the movie. So, you know, it it starts to work. So, she's definitely a dark horse for me. I, I really like her now. You know, before she was sort of like the Johnny Depp... Uh, <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow and uh, a vampire all rolled into one. She definitely does well now. So those are probably, I mean, I love everybody really, but I think Thor is definitely number one for me. 
This movie's the combination of 18 movies and 10 years worth of stuff in the MCU. Do you think that Infinity War lived up to the hype? I think it did. And I think the fact that they completely surprised us and are wanting to continue to surprise us is a good thing, I think. Do you think the old guard Avengers are gone in the next movie? Or just some of them? Well, you know, the nice thing about something like the Avengers is that it's created so that it can grow and evolve and include more characters. So even if, you know, Thor and some of the core characters like Captain America, Tony Stark, I mean, you see that, you know, Thor lost his home planet. So he's probably going to want to figure out a way to rebuild everything. Tony Stark is kind of in that middle part where, you know, he wants to marry Pepper and have a normal life and not have to worry about, being Iron Man all the time because people need him. And, you know, Captain America, you know, he's a hundred years old and, you know, he's still searching for his place in the world in a sense, in a world that he thought, you know, he was dead from. So, and of course, Chris Evans wants to leave Marvel if we're to believe, you know, so you can definitely tell that we're expecting some changes and the fact that the group will have, other characters it's sort of like those superheroes that like you were saying like captain america in the comics someone else becomes captain america you know it's kind of a neat thing because i think other characters can become the avengers you start out with that core group of avengers but people grow and people change and you know the world needs different types of heroes at different times and so that's a good thing that they're able to change and evolve I will say one thing that I that I miss one relationship that was I always enjoyed. It's a smaller one, but the interactions between Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch. Oh, I miss those. You know, and, and they had their moments in Ultron, and yeah. then they had their moments in Civil War. Yeah, I miss those because he was sort of like her father. Yeah, and it was sweet because you know he and Nat are buddies. You know, they were war buddies mm-hmm. in a sense. But when he's with Scarlet Witch, it's like he's with his kids. You know, he's just so sweet and caring to her and really wants to mentor her you know he definitely not only sees an out of control you know superhero in a sense well anti-superhero when he finds her but he then realizes well she's just a kid she's a vulnerable young naive girl she lost everything and so he really kind of just basically looks at her and says hey you know you want to live you gotta put your big girl panties on and Get out there, but just know that when you get out there, you're one of us. The island is flying. <laughs> I, always, I always like that little The strange. island is flying. I only have bows and arrows. <laughs> None of this makes any sense. <laughs> you walk but, out that door, you're an Avenger. But I will say on that note that Infinity Wars made a lot of sense. And it was it was definitely a good movie. I, I, I definitely recommend that people see it. I know that a lot of people you know, didn't like some of the things about it. They didn't like vision. They didn't like, you know, but come on. It, for me, it's very satisfying. I, I really, I thought, so too. I I thought, thought so it too. worked. I thought it, it plays. And, you know? and, yeah. <laughs> and, and it has, to me, it does have, even though it, it reminds me of a lot of the end of the empire strikes back. There's a cliffhanger, but the movie <laughs> itself has a self-contained story. Yeah. And that story arc was Thanos wants the infinity stones he does whatever it takes to get the Infinity Stones. He accomplishes his goal, and then he can sit on the porch and yeah. smile at what he's accomplished. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know that the heroes are going to have to work to try to figure out 
what happened in a, in a way to undo it. Just like at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, you know, the Empire wins, and you know that they're going to have to go and they're going to find a way to save Han Solo. The movie itself, while it does have a cliffhanger, still is a self-contained story. I feel that way with the Avengers, and then for some people who were basically falling out of their seats or weeping in pain at the end of that movie, if they stayed through the credits, then they did get a little bit of hope at the end. Even if they didn't know yeah. what that meant when Sam Samuel L. Jackson slash Nick Fury's space beeper went off, you know, <laughs> it gave them something hopeful. And I, I do think people needed that at the end. Yeah, they really did. They they really did. It, it I thought that that was a nice little cap to everything was to introduce Captain Marvel. And it was hard to watch some of the people that you just love go away disappear disappear. and you think god can it get any worse and you're you're right in comparing it to the empire strikes back because it's just so depressing you know they need this you know they need this to accomplish their ultimate goal of defeating thanos and we need to wrap this up so i think we're gonna say goodbye for this edition of the matt adams podcast thank you for listening any final thoughts ann no no, no final thoughts. Dynamite drop in there, and so <laughs> uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, or drop me an email, Matt at MattAdamsWriter.com, Matt at MattAdamsWriter.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.